0: Back in 2014, a couple was walking their dog behind their house in California when they came upon something odd protruding from the ground. Getting closer, they realized they were just metal coffee cans that had been buried. However, they figured they should open them up and found them filled with gold coins in perfect condition minted in the 1800s. As it turns out, because these coins were so rare, they were worth an estimated $10 million. Funny thing is, if no one had discovered them and shared the news about them, they wouldn't have been of any value to anyone. So when it comes to God's kingdom, what worth
1: do you give it? Or do you choose to bury it? Christ's death on the cross is what makes the kingdom of God the most valuable thing that you and I can ever acquire.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. If your desire is to be a citizen of the kingdom, then you must be willing to place the same value upon the kingdom as God does. Charles Tapp explains what that means as he shares the second part in his series, Keys to the Kingdom, with his message, Buried Treasure.
1: If you were not here on last week, and even if you were in case you have forgotten most of the message. On last week, we looked at small beginnings, and I said on last Sabbath that there is a great deal of confusion as it relates to understanding the nature of what the kingdom of God is really all about. For there are those who believe, if you ask them, what is the kingdom of God, they will say to you, well, the kingdom of God is heaven, or the kingdom of God is the second coming of Jesus Christ or the kingdom of God is the earth made new. Then there are others who tie the kingdom of God to a single event, and they'll tell you that it's something like what took place in the past, or it's an event that was going to take place in the future. Then there are others who will tell you, no, 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 the kingdom of God is going on right now. It is an event in the present. But here's what I find interesting about all these different perspectives and all these different views, And that is, for the most part, they are all right. And the main reason for this confusion is within Scripture itself and how it describes and refers to the kingdom of God in so many different ways. As I brought to your attention on last week, when we go to the Old Testament and we look at the prophecies, especially prophecies like Daniel 2, you get the idea that the kingdom of God is this single event that would one day take place when Christ returns, which would rid the earth of all of the other evil kingdoms. And then God's kingdom would finally reign supreme forever and ever. But then there's a problem because when you go to the New Testament, Jesus has his own idea of what he looks at the kingdom of God is what it is. So when his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, Tell us about this kingdom. When is it? Where is it? And in Luke chapter 7, 17 rather, verses 20 and 21, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, referring to the kingdom, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. Not some event that took place in the past, not some event that's going to take place in the future, But Jesus says the kingdom of God is something that's going on right now in you. So now you can understand why so many fail to have a clear, decisive explanation as to what the kingdom of God is really all about. But in Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 4 we find Jesus sharing several parables that serve as keys to unlock the mystery to give us an idea of what the nature of God's kingdom is really all about. And in Matthew chapter 13, last week in part one, we looked at two kingdom parables. First, there's the parable of the mustard seed. Then there's the parable of the leaven. And in each of these parables, Jesus uses them to provide us with valuable insight into the kingdom as he highlights particular aspects of the nature of what the kingdom of God is all about. And when you look at Matthew 13 and you look at these parables, you begin to see clearly that not one parable all by itself gives you a complete understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. So that's why he gives several parables to give several highlights and insights. In looking at the parable of the mustard seed, we discovered that mustard seed is a proverbial symbol for something that is small, for something that is tiny, for something that is viewed as being somewhat insignificant, but eventually grows into this large bush. Then there's the parable of the leaven, the lesson we learned here, that it only takes a little leaven to make a whole lot of bread. Any bread makers here today? Really, you still do? Well, I know you do, D. Most of you probably do like I do. You just go to the store and buy it. But if you just put a little leaven in dough, especially in this parable, it would have made enough bread to feed over 100 people. And herein lies the aspect of the kingdom of God that probably causes the most confusion. For it is through these two parables that Jesus gives us this particular insight as it relates to the kingdom. For the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying here in its initial stages is small. It is insignificant. It appears to be obscure. But why is that important? Because our human nature, we dismiss things that are small, even people. We diminish things that don't appear to be of great value. We disregard small things. We disregard businesses that start off, as I mentioned to you on last week. Apple, they started the company Apple with $1,350 working in a garage. Now, most of us wish we had one share of Apple stock. Some of you wouldn't be here right now if you had bought shares back then. But we look at things in their small beginnings and we dismiss them as being of little value. We even as the body of Christ look at what God is doing from time to time and consider it small and we dismiss it as well. Let me show you a case to the point. Turn to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter four. And I want us to look at verses eight to verse 10. Zechariah four, verses eight to 10. If you're worshiping online, you can read it on the screen. The word of God says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is the prophet Zechariah speaking here. He says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Verse 10. For who has what? Despised the day of small things. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout The whole earth. The days of small beginnings here literally refers to the building or the rebuilding of the temple that was destroyed when the Israelites were taken prisoner into Babylonian captivity. And if you read Ezra chapter 3 and verse 12, it says that when some of the older men saw them rebuilding the temple, the Bible says that they wept. Bitterly. But when the young men saw them and what they were doing, they rejoiced. Now the younger men rejoiced because they didn't have any perspective because they went around during the days of the original temple. But the older men who were there and saw all the grandeur of the temple, the Bible says when they just started building the foundation, these men cried like babies. They wept bitterly. Now, men, it's all right to cry. It's all right to cry as a man. You know, we we as men try to be tough. And we think it's weak to cry. And when we're watching these sob story films and the tears start to come into our eyes, we'll say, oh, a fly or a mosquito or a crumb just happened to get there. But let me tell you something, men, women think it's cool for a man to cry. They think it's sexy. All the men are going to go home and go, Hoo-hoo-hoo. it's not going to work, folk, not going to work. They cried because in their minds, this small thing wasn't going to amount to anything. But what they failed to realize was what made this particular temple bigger and better than the other temple was not the size of it, but the fact that Jesus himself, the son of God, one day would walk through this temple. So God says to Zerubbabel and all the others, be careful when you despise, despise things that appear to be small, because if God is in it, that's what really counts. And here's the lesson that we learn from this parable, that when it comes to the work of God, it's a dangerous thing to judge a book by its cover. And that's why when Jesus came along and said, listen, the kingdom of God is within you, they missed it. Because many of them were looking for this grand event where the kingdom of God would be ushered in and they would totally annihilate and destroy their oppressors. And then God would set up his kingdom. And you know why that's the case? Because we love big things, even as the body of Christ. If something is big, we'll go with that more easily than if something is small. If we were to say today, we're going to march on Washington next week and we're going to protest against all the injustice and all the things we think that the country is doing wrong, hundreds, thousands would show up. But if we called a prayer meeting, let me not look at anyone in particular. If we called a prayer meeting and we say, let's come and pray and seek our God on behalf of the injustice, that we're going through in this world today, 20, 30 tops would show up. If Jesus had come on the scene and started an insurrection, I am almost sure that all of them, most of them would have been behind him. But because the kingdom of God didn't come as Christ as a ruler, but it came as him being obeyed, many of them missed it. And when he was hanging on the cross, they thought for sure, that Jesus was a charlatan, that he was truly not ushering in the kingdom of God. But God says to us today in the book of Zechariah, don't despise small things. Because when it comes to the work of God, remember this, God's hand is always in it. And wherever God's hand is, success is guaranteed. Who says amen today? Yes, the kingdom of God one day will culminate in this big event when Jesus returns. That's that's fine. But that's not how the kingdom of God begins. For the kingdom of God is about the rule of God. It's about God's reign. And God's reign doesn't start when he returns. God's reign starts in our hearts right now. So if I want to be part of the kingdom of God when he comes back to the earth, that I've got to be part of the kingdom of God now because he didn't come to get rid of powers and principalities. He didn't come to rule over them. He came to rule over the throne of our hearts. And that's why we should never despise the work that God is doing in your life, my life, or the life of someone else. Remember what the apostle Paul said to the believers in Philippi, Philippians 1, 6, He says, listen, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you shall complete it all the way through to the time of Jesus Christ. And the good work that Paul is talking about is the work of developing the kingdom of God in our lives. And wherever God's hand in, there is always success. And that's why Paul could say later, for now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you and I can ask or think. So don't ever despise what God is doing in someone else's life because it doesn't match what's going on in your life. For wherever God's hand is, there will always be success.
0: You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message keys to the kingdom buried treasure and if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org we'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this jesus came here for you no matter what your skin color is jesus came here for you if you're republican democrat neutral don't know or don't care or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you and for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And when it comes to God's kingdom, What kind of value do you give it? Do you live it out or bury it? Charles Tapp explains what the implications are as he continues with the rest of his message, Keys to the Kingdom, Buried Treasure.
1: But here's a question I want us to begin to ponder that we did not really reflect much on last week, and that is this. Why did Jesus choose to reveal the mystery of the nature of the kingdom of God through the use of parables. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 10 to 13, because his disciples asked him that very same question. Look at what he said. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because, listen, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Look at verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they what? Understand. At first glance, it would appear as though Jesus was being somewhat selective here in regards to who could be a part of his kingdom. It almost sounds as if Jesus is playing favorites here. But Christ's method of teaching parables was one of the most effective ways to reveal extremely vital truths those who were sincere about finding truth, but it was also equally as effective in concealing truth from those who had no intentions of hearing truth at all. And I believe that Jesus knew that there were some close-minded, stubborn, stiff-necked people in his audience that would not listen to truth nor accept truth no matter how it was presented. So Jesus put it in a parable to hide it from them because once they know the truth, a decision has to be made. That's why in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is what? Much was required. And the much Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about knowledge of the word. So in a sense, Jesus put these highlights of the nature of the kingdom in parables. Yes, so that some could find it. But it was an act of grace so that some could not find it because he knew they wouldn't accept it to begin with. For the Bible says spiritual things are spiritually Discerned. How many times have you tried to share truth with someone? I mean, you made it as plain and as clear as possible, but they didn't even want to hear what you had to say because their minds are made up. And that's the way the Pharisees were. If the kingdom of God didn't align with how they viewed the kingdom of God, they didn't want to hear it. And that's why they missed Jesus when he came in ushering in the kingdom. Now, in these last remaining moments, let's take a look at our two parables we wanna focus on today. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 13. And let's look at verses 44 to verse 46. Look at what the word of God says, again. And it says again because Jesus had just shared the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. He says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is what? Hidden in a field. Don't miss that. Which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells what? All that he has. And what does he do with the money? He buys the field. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Again, verse 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a what? A merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Verse 46, who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold what? All he had. And what did he do? He bought it. Now, if you really want to understand this parable, you've got to understand that it's not by accident that these two parables proceed or follow rather the parables of the leaven and the mustard seed. Because remember, the mustard seed is all about something being small, appearing small, and appearing insignificant. And then it's about the leaven. Again, something that appears so small, but yet has the potential of doing a great work. So the lesson of the treasure and the lesson of the pearl is that It is of inestimable value, talking about the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, don't take the kingdom of God for granted. Don't disregard it. Don't dismiss it because it appears to be small. Regardless of its small beginnings, it has inestimable value. In other words, it transcends anything you could ever hope or think to have. Have you ever wondered what determines the value of something? And I ask that question because when you look at price tags on certain things, you have to begin to shake your head and wonder why in the world does that cost so much? Like the sneakers that were told about in our children's story. I've never paid $250 for a pair of sneakers. I don't care if Michael Jordan sweat on us, spat on it, signed it, It didn't make any difference. I'm not buying $250. It's not happening. But you remember right after the recent Super Bowl, right? New England Patriots won, the quarterback, Tom Brady, his jersey was stolen, you remember that story? And they discovered that his jersey was no longer even in the United States. It was in Mexico, for a man had stolen it. When they got to the man's house, they discovered he had other memorabilia as well that he had stolen. When they finally retrieved the jersey, authorities brought it back to Texas. They said, and I kid you not, I cannot make this up, that Tom Brady's jersey was worth half a million dollars. But here's the question I have for God's people today. What makes the kingdom of God so valuable? How does God determine what has value and what has not? What are the factors that God uses to determine value? Let's take a look again at the parables that are in question. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's hidden, it's obscure, but when the man found the treasure, what did the man do? He took the treasure. But he didn't stop there. What else did he do? He bought the entire field even after he secured the treasure. But then the merchant who was looking for a pearl, a beautiful pearl, found one of great price. What did he do? He sold everything he had. Listen, just so that he could secure this one great pearl. But here's the takeaway that God wants us to get today. That when you discover something of value, of great value, you should do whatever you can to acquire it, especially if it's the kingdom of God. For in that first parable, the joy that this man expressed represents the joy in recognizing the value of what he had found. But please don't miss this point. In both of these parables, the money and the effort that was paid to secure both the treasure and the pearls gives us the mystery of what makes the kingdom of God so valuable. And it can be summed up in one word, and it is the word sacrifice. What made the treasure so valuable? He sacrificed Everything he had. What truly gave those pearls value? It was the sacrifice. What then gives the kingdom of God its great value? It is the sacrifice that was made in behalf of the kingdom. Christ's death on the cross is what makes the kingdom of God the most valuable thing that you and I can ever acquire. But here's the point I don't want you to miss. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it not only makes the kingdom valuable, it adds value to those who will eventually make up the kingdom. That's why the resurrection is so important because God has placed his kingdom in an obscure place. He's placed it in our hearts. But because the kingdom of God is in our hearts today, it means tomorrow we can be part of the kingdom of God when he comes. But with everything of value, there's a sacrifice. And even though salvation is free, if you and I want to be part of the kingdom of God, we've got to make a sacrifice as well. What does Jesus say in Luke 14? He says, listen, if you want to be one of my disciples, you've got to be willing to do what? Hate father? mother, brother, sister, even your own life. In other words, he's saying, if you want to be one of my disciples, no one else in your life can have the place that I should have. That's what that word means. It means to love less. He says, if your right hand offends you, do what with it? Cut it off. Why? Because if you want to accept this kingdom of God of great value, it only comes with sacrifice. And the greatest sacrifice has already been made by Jesus Christ. But now I've got the sacrifice. You've got a sacrifice. You see, we're looking for this great event. Oh, yes, because we love big things. We all want to be part of the kingdom of God when he comes in great glory. But guess what? If you want to be part of the kingdom of God, then it means God has to reign in your heart now. For when it comes to the kingdom of God, the future is today. So I've got to make a decision. What has value for me? For as Jesus said himself, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Seek first God's reign in our lives. All this other stuff he says, it'll come. Don't worry. But first and foremost, I've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. You've got to be willing allow God to have reign in your life.
0: You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Keys to the Kingdom, Buried Treasure. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. The kingdom of God comes alive in a person's life the moment the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, takes root in the soil of his or her heart. Next week, Charles Tapp shares the third part in this series, Keys to the Kingdom, with his message, No Root, No Fruit. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life. Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you, And for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore.